Hello, um, welcome to Aldrich Girl and today we've got with us a Stephanie Simpson who is a romance author and um, Stephanie is going to be reading an extract from Whitworth Doom Baby for us today and we're going to be chatting about some cosmic horror and romance. Um, Steph, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hello and thank you for having me on. Um, I'm uh, a disabled British romance writer. I usually write contemporary romance. I've got a few series that are self-published. I also write fantasy romance and apparently cosmic horror, which was, you know, unexpected. <laughs> That's how it gets you. <laughs> it creeps up. <laughs> it does. It does. Appropriately. Um, so Whitworth Doom Baby, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Um, it's, it's a contemporary gothic goth horror that's kind of romantic and it's apocalyptic end of the world witchy demon strangeness with <laughs> portals and cosmic horror yeah. that sounds amazing I have got I bought it already and it's on my uh it's yeah <laughs> I very much enjoyed the the bit I've got up to so um <laughs> Um, so you're going to read an extract from it for us. I am. I'm going to read um, from the chapter, The Sweetest Lies Carry Our Ghosts. And um, our main character, Adeline, has returned to Whitworth Manor for whom she works. And you don't quite know who anyone is or what they are or anything. So we learn a little bit about her in this chapter. Okay. Whitworth Manor stood for 300 years. It took its name from the horror in its foundations. There wasn't much I was afraid of, but I was of the manor. The familiar walls welcomed me in and I tasted the glamour as it whispered to me. It's a strange power I never mastered. My only skill in bending reality was not being seen and even then it was spotty. The ability to control the appearance of places and bodies would have been useful in my work. I swallowed the disdain in my gullet for the pristine history of the place. It was steeped in mystery and righteous servitude for the greater good. It was a load of shit. The cloying smell of lilies from the orangery made my eyes water. Well, there you are. Lady Whitworth stood in the great panelled hall and was as old as the manor with her artful white hair coiled on her head. She leant on a cane with her black eyes narrowed. She's definitely dead. You saw her, the pert, warbling tone echoed. Yes, I saw her. Identified the body. I saw the house, nothing there. The itch in my mind of what was off had sunk in. The cottage where I'd lived had not been lived in. I put that thought aside. Good, as it should be. Lady Whitworth tapped along the floor, her cane clinking loudly. I followed. In the library, panelled and filled with a scent of books and dust, the others waited. This was the only room I liked. We're ready, Whitworth laughed, taking a small sherry waiting for her. I hoped it had arsenic in it, though I knew it probably wouldn't kill her, unfortunately. The gangling horrors that made up the council were already waiting, lounging on leather couches and tall mahogany chairs, and their chatter almost sounded happy. The council was made up of 12 of some of the oldest witches and separate to our government of court. The corruption in the council was complete. They'd fallen one by one to the horror over the centuries to the evil they were sworn to defend us against. They'd survived our most brutal war, but I wondered who'd actually won. I bowed my head before looking up. 
Above the large old stone fireplace hung a painting. A woman classically depicted in flowing white robes with a tit out stood atop a mountain of skulls, the bringer. I didn't hold with the prophecy or chosen ones. It was a running joke as far as I was concerned. The bringer apparently was to lead the great death. No one really bought into it, seeing as it had been made up sometime in the 1920s. Blinking and feeling old, I turned from the fireplace and poured myself a whiskey. What happens now? We need there to be no impediments. Lady W's smug tone grated as I drank. Apparently, Mother had a solicitor and an insurance policy and I'm being investigated. That might be an issue. Do we know who it is? Grant, the eldest other than Whitworth herself, had suspicion in his voice. He'd hated me ever since I stabbed him in the groin for feeling me up when I was younger. I smiled at the memory of his scream and drained the glass. Lady W shushed them as they murmured. They were all rarely in the same place at the same time, and the congregated monsters obeyed. What next? I knew what they'd say. I'd known it when the council secretary called me to tell me my mother was dead. You're special, Adeline, an important part of our lives and future. This place is a family. Your aunt brought you to us and saved you from your mother. We've nurtured and loved you, and now it's time to repay us and do your duty. Lady W tapped her cane, and my Aunt Matilda came in. My mother had no actual sister, and they looked nothing alike. Her watery eyes were cast down, and she looked frail and unkempt, another prisoner of this place. I hadn't seen her in a decade, but I didn't move. Fear had consumed my childhood, but I never understood it until I met Matilda. Tell us about the man. Lady W smirked at me, and I stared at Matilda. I didn't want to give them his name. Tell me about my mother. Matilda looked up. Your mother was one of us. When she was of age, as you are now, she was asked to align and you are the result. My mother was significantly older than me when she went through the door. Most witches are still honing their powers at my age. But you are not other witches. You are more than a child of the door. You hide it and think we don't know. Do you truly understand what you are? I took a step back, bile filling my throat. Your mother ran away using her magic and hid you away from us. She was terrified of you, so we thought it was best you come here where you belong. Sweat beaded on my back and hot ice ran in my blood to align further the council's power and connection to the door, a terrible thing that had destroyed my mother that created me and corrupted the fabric of our natures. I'd expected my turn since I was a child, but to hear it said upended my control. Pale and hidden from the eyes of others, a figure appeared at my side. Percival Whitworth had been my companion since I arrived. Not many saw the dead, and he was careful to whom he revealed himself. Well, he leant on his phantom weight on a hip and tilted his head. I think it's time to leave. Long black hair, breeches and shirt, but all translucent and indistinct. A 17th century fuckboy. You must leave now or there'll be no escape and you'll become your mother or worse. I took a deep breath. Everything I needed was in my car, but there were too many people between me and the exit. In fact, the best thing you can do is burn this place to the ground. They think you're one of them. They believe they've done enough for your complicity. He shimmered. We talked of this. It is time. You know what will happen to you. I did. In the dark, blood-soaked bowels of the manor where poorly fitted pipes and rot bloomed and where no glamour could touch, 
My trap waited for me, a fear so dark that my mother was no longer the woman I'd seen in a few photos, but a traumatised witch who was terrified of the monster she created. Closing my eyes, I saw myself surrounded by evil, by the coming storm when I rose from the filth. I would never bow to the fate ordained to me by Whitworth and its master on the other side. Johan had said it. I wonder if they knew she was gone yet. My mind emptied from a dark recess my silent companion so often quelled took form. It filled my body and took control. I never let it out or used its terrifying power. I'd kept it so secret that no one had any thought as to what it was. Its power seeped through and it was that which gave my which my mother feared, not me. The key to my survival had been to give them enough not to suspect. They thought I was as gullible as any weak human mortal, as if I didn't know, as if my power wasn't strong enough to fight back, as if I wasn't a cold monster maid. Pouring another whiskey, I turned my back. The council chatted among themselves. They whispered of my sacrifice, of how none had come back from the door in years and it was never happy. The end was coming. I was the chosen bringer. Fuck that. <laughs> wow. I love that extract so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Um, why, what drew you to pair eldritch cosmic horror with romance or uh, romantic suspense? Well, <clears throat> I actually started with a title. That I don't know where it came from, but I just thought Whitworth Dean Baby sounds really cool. And in my head, it was something punk and goth and gothic and dark. And I kind of didn't have any world building. I didn't have a plan for it. I just kind of wrote it in a strange fever dream and serialised it on Wattpad. But the starting point for it came from a short I wrote called The Door, which is no longer on Wattpad because it's going in something else, um, about this man who steps through this mysterious door. Uh, and comes out something quite different so that was really like the starting point and this idea of these demons in the dark and these doors and all over the place and for me it's very natural to write like a romance I find character arcs are, uh, are much easier to explore through a relationship that develops so whether that's like platonic or whatever it's just a natural through line for me to explore character so and in my head, when I was writing that, I thought it was going to be like a portal PNR, but just a bit goth. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And then it just it, it did not turn out that way. It was something very different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's really cool. What were your um, main influences for the book? Um, um, that's really tricky because Micah Thomas wrote an intro for it and he saw a lot of things in it that I did not at all and uh, it made me think a lot about what did influence it um so they might sound a bit disparate but I kind of really love Hellboy um the comic feels very punk and it's quite quite acerbic and everything but I also really love Del Toro uh, Del Toro's uh, film version of those those two films yeah. because he's got this really brittle glittering beautiful aesthetic against this really punk dark comic and I just love that juxtaposition of two things but they work so beautifully together and I guess um probably like something like Neverwhere and like Neil Gaiman's kind of world building is very fascinating to me like this world within that. world that 
yeah it's, it's just right there isn't it and you can't see it until you're in it and I feel like kind of this these witches in this world is very much like that it's just beyond your sight but it's it exists and actually this is going to sound a bit strange but um Henry James and M.R. James they they wrote these like ghost stories right so they're the kind of stories you would tell and they're always people telling stories of like third hand or whatever like they're not first hand stories yeah. somebody's told them this story and then they tell this story and Whitworth's very much like that it's she's not telling you this story this is a second-hand version of it so then what are the skewed unreliable narration kind of you don't really know if that's actually what happened Do you know what I mean it's like yeah yes yeah that sort of framed narratives as a technique mm. is a really interesting it's, a, it's such a classical gothic technique as well it's such an interesting yeah. way of um, yeah. Like the Russian doll nested narratives. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's what it feels like. And, and I think because she's not a reliable narrator and you're seeing a very specific version of events after the fact being told to someone else once they're grown up from being a child experiencing it firsthand. So there's this, there's this skewed perspective. And in my head, actually, Adeline's a very, very small slice of what happens in this big event. She's a tiny wedge. She, she describes herself as a small cog. And she is, she's a tiny, she's a, an important cog, but she's still a small cog. And I have all these other stories and other kind of truths around it. So I like that idea of this kind of like slightly skewed perspective of it not really being what happened. That's really interesting. I Yeah, I love that. And um, I'm thinking about the different characters as well, because you've got a lot of different, I mean, across your work as well, you've got a lot of different um, representation and that sort of thing within the within the narratives and the different things that you play with um, and sort of subvert. Um, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about those as well and sort of the, um, I mean, if you think about like classic Gothic texts um, and the way that they, do very bad representation, uh, especially of like disabled characters who are, that's a marker yeah. of villainy or like, um, which is, oh, it, oh yeah. Um, and those sorts of tropes that get picked up and perpet like, yeah, no, <laughs> can yeah. we not? It, 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 <laughs> um, it's a, I mean, there are so few good representations of disabled people and it's like you, you're right we fall into like three categories which is villainy inspiration or tragedy so it's the tragedy yeah. is better off dead abled character learns a lesson from that death and then there's um inspo which is overcoming this kind of um or being magically cured from because obviously it's so terrible being disabled and it's it was a long process for me to be able to actually write disabled characters comfortably because we're all ableist it's so indoctrinated into us into us from childhood and unless you're actively unlearning those things you're going to be ableist do you know what yeah. I mean so and it's everywhere so um it's romance gets a lot of stick um the thing about romance is that it provides an opportunity to be radical it provides an opportunity to be 
political because you can giving a disabled character a happy ever after where they're loved for who they are they're not expected or asked to overcome anything they're not cured they're accepted and they are loved and they get a happy ever after it is radical because that never happens you know what I mean yeah. so yeah. romance is so important for showing people that actually we're we're worthy of love we can be loved so like um in something like um no cure required um the main character is uh, has fibromyalgia which is my chronic illness and she has um a limb and the pace has to be different and how you construct it has to be different because it's not an abled narrative it works on a different level um and we get accused of being kind of inactive because we have to we can't necessarily do the things that able people would do so it's a different it has to be a different form of storytelling right you know yeah. What I mean? yeah yeah so, yeah um, yeah um are, are there any particular protagonists or stories that you're particularly like fond of that you've written um, oh, these are always so hard these questions <laughs> they're like, all your babies one, I'm like, it's like... <laughs> hard, I have so many um I mean I love I love restoration love because um she's got panic disorder the main character's got panic disorder and she's a shut-in and she's kind of agoraphobic and but she's also an artist and she's kind of goth and I'm like I relate so <laughs> <laughs> um and she doesn't get cured but she finds a good she gets therapy and medication and she finds ways to cope so yeah. It's, it's a good arc for her um but also um there's a book my next book coming out neon hearts both the main characters are disabled um he's a uh, burns survivor so he's got facial differences but he's considered handsome he's beautiful and mm. um he's always looked at, at as gorgeous because he is and like he's not lesser because of his um facial differences um, but B, the, the the female main character, she's got uh, a kind of acquired brain injury like I did because I, I had a TIA, but she um, she has a, a car accident. And um, we, we follow her through her recovery process. And when we say recovery in this context, we don't mean that. Don't mean as in she's going to get better. It's you find your new normal. It's yes. How much can I, you know, learning to speak a bit or finding ways to access the world and communicate it. So, and I love her because you really follow her through her early journey, learning to speak again when she's mute, um, you know, and that she ends up with a stutter and she forgets words and at the end, and that's okay. She She's accepted, she's not cured, but she's, this is who I am now. And I, and I love that journey for her. Yeah. yeah that's yeah that's really yeah that's a really good way of kind of um restructuring narratives yeah another part of that um which shouldn't be radical in inverted commas but kind of is is sex and disabled characters or erotica that features disabled characters in a positive way that doesn't fetishize the disability yes. they have <laughs> yes because there is a lot of that yes, yes yeah um mm. Um, so I'm just um, so how kinky is Whitworth Doom Baby? I can't remember if it's 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 not really the 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 hmm, okay. So not everything <laughs> I write is, is um, heavily kink or culturally kink, 
Um, no. But in my head, the dynamics play out. So in something like Whitworth Doom Baby, it's not like she's got like a ball gag in her poke pocket or anything. But <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, she might. I mean, there's all sorts of things in that coat, but, you know, she doesn't. Um, but she's very much takes control. She, she, she takes what she wants. She's very domin- dominating. Um, yeah. And Church is quite happy to submit to that. And then, but what's interesting about kink um, and playing with those dynamics is that you can show character development through those things, through those actions and how they change. So I'm telling you like a lot of character about who they are as people, you know, and not necessarily, mm, uh, what's the right word? It's the outside self versus the inside self. It's your secret self. So in and what kink does and what those dynamics do is, is put that on display. So kind of through the narrative, some of that switches and some of that changes around. So we see that working in different ways for them. So it's it's a bit um, interesting. No, it's not vanilla vanilla, but it's not. Oh, here is a you know cross, and we're going to tie you up to it. Not quite kink, but it's not not kink. Yeah. So yeah. So how does that translate as well into? Um when you are deliberately writing um, your more kind of erotic romances. And um, so just, you, you do a lot of femdom kind of mm. stuff, which I love. And <laughs> I think it's really well done. Um, and you. yeah, I, I really enjoy those sorts of narratives and like um, how they can be used to develop those dynamics, like you said, and um, give characters that agency but also yes. like it's okay to be a sub when like you're trying to get your agency back because that's a yeah, big so, misconception about that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, just it's, it, 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 here's the thing. So a lot of people have this very, very narrow structure of what they think kink actually is. And okay. it's a <laughs> knob in a suit who is using kink to abuse someone like that's really what most people think it is and it's kind of reduced to this almost sub-genre of dark romance and it's not like that's not what it is um it's much more fluid and nuanced and it's so broad and it's a natural thing for me to write like it's it's a really natural thing for me to write it feels very normal and it's unusual for me to not put kink in it because maybe that doesn't need to be in it or it's not part of that story. But generally, yeah, it's it's something that naturally plays out for me. And what people don't understand about submission particularly is there's a lot of power in submission because the power comes from here is an active choice I'm making. And my active choice is to give this gift to this person. And that power comes through negotiation. And that power comes through consent. And one of the things that people don't understand about about kink in real life is there's a lot of psychology to it. There's a lot of inner self put out there. There's a lot of raw vulnerability. It's one of the most healthiest forms of relationships because people have to talk about things. So what you're doing when you're negotiating, what you're doing when you're um, going to these places and being vulnerable and giving permission for these things to happen and giving sometimes at some level agency to somebody else perhaps 
there's so much power and control in that, even when giving up. And there's a freedom to it that people don't understand when they've not experienced it. And something like No Cure Required, when um, Willow learns about submission, she finds a freedom in that, an expression of self that she doesn't have otherwise. And you can find that kind of in different dynamics as well, like in Neon Hearts, the finds that, you know, she is a, a, a femdom. And exacting that agency in her life when she has to be um, passive in many ways, because when you're disabled, you have to be passive a lot of the time. Other people have to make those choices. Other people have to act those actions. And you cannot participate other than giving your consent. So for her to retake that power and control over somebody else is a real expression of her agency as she kind of comes to like the close of her, her narrative. So you can demonstrate somebody's inner self, their outer self, and you can give them power or freedom where they don't necessarily have it in their stories and their outside self, so if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really, it's a really powerful, interesting dynamic. And I love those stories anyway for like, I think it just enriches that character arc so much more. It's so much of it is communication and that constant level of communication that you have to keep up. Yeah. And that acceptance that actually sometimes what your limits were um, might change and yeah. you might, and that fluidity is something you have to continuously check in with yes. and maybe interrogate a little bit for what reasons have my limits changed? Um, why am I now kind of into this or not into this? Is this something to do with me? Is it to do with my partner? Is this, you know, uh, what what is this? <laughs> um, and Absolutely, you just have to yeah. be so open about it. And I think exactly. um, you can really tell a difference between um, books that have been written by somebody who just think kink is um, a fun, hot selling point. Yes. And people who actually practice yes. kink and like are part of that lifestyle or, or uh, even if it's not a lifestyle, not like as in a lifestyle that you live 24 seven, but like part of that scene then yeah and it's really interesting to see the concepts of um what people think of as vanilla even because people have conceptions that specific things are vanilla and other you know like people have different kinds of tolerances and that yeah. those sorts of assumptions mm -hmm. um and if you're not in communication with your partner about all of that which is a very vulnerable thing. Like, as you say, like it's, it's a very deep thing. Mm. Um, and sometimes you'll say, oh, I want you to do this, or I want you to, I like to be called, I like to be insulted, or I like to, and your partner goes, I'm not happy doing that yeah. for these reasons. And you have yeah. to then negotiate. Exactly. What am I prepared to yeah. compromise? Where am I prepared yeah. to go? Which words are okay? Which words are not okay? And it, you get into real kind of specific nuances of even tone of voice, even mm. and the context for those things. Like um, kink A might be appropriate at this point, but it's not appropriate at a slightly different point. There can be such really, really careful nuances. And, and so finding a through thread for a story 
where it plays out is actually really easy for me as far as the kink goes like once I find that line of kink I know exactly what they are and who they're going to be and how it's going to play out for them and and sometimes I'll write something and it's kind of in there until I put the kink into it I'm like oh oh no this makes sense now do you know what I mean it's it (laughs) makes it kind of whole whole and and complete because you like you say you have to deal with that psychology definitely yeah it's such an interesting topic I think we could probably talk about this for for hours for ages forever (laughs) but um yeah so so um Neon Hearts is your next one that's coming out it is I'm very excited it's the last book in a new in New City series and there's still a New City story to finish off um, but this is the last main novel in the series. Ooh. How do you feel about that? Um, bittersweet. Like I'm, mm. I'm, I need to be done. Like I'm ready for it to be finished um, because there are other things I want to write um, and maybe kind of get off the treadmill of self-publishing for a while. Um, but kind of sad because I've spent, I've been with writing these since 2016, so. Yeah. yeah that's a long time, a long time. Yeah. yeah when is um, neon hearts when's the launch date for that it's out on the 29th of march i'm very excited Ooh, exciting times um that's great and um yeah so what do you think you will do after that i'm going to watch a lot of netflix <laughs> good <laughs> um I've, I've got a few other things to finish off for a new city story it's uh, another disabled um well it's a polymor polymorous um try it's going to be delightful it's just forty thousand words of filth it's brilliant that's and that's going to be the last one then we're all done and um then i've got a um secret project i'm working on with someone else um, which might have something to do with Whitworth Doom Baby, but I can't say anything <gasps> else about that. Writing terms. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then I've got a PNR I'm kind of working on and uh, Broody. But here's the thing though, because I don't feel like I can write anything contemporary anymore because I've got you've got to put in kind of COVID and I don't really want to so in my head I thought well I've just set it in the 90s that's close enough so everything now is going to be set in the 90s so the I've 90s got this kind of broody two-hander <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the 90s has a really good aesthetic though I think it's an underappreciated uh decade yeah. and it, it, was, it was my decade because that's when I was a teenager so sure. yeah that's uh, I've got a nice broody two-hander romance kind of sitting on the back burner so I'm gonna get into those when I when I when I want to no pressure just yeah yeah lots of rest exciting the rest is very exciting (laughs) oh I'm looking forward to it I really am (laughs) well I hope that um your launch day is very successful and that you've got you get a load of pre-orders um and by the time this is coming out so yours is a, a March interview so, <laughs> so it's just in time for your uh, your big announcement. So that would be good. Um, thank you ever so much for coming on the show. It's been really great to have you. 
And thank you for having me. It's been really fun. I was so nervous about doing this, but it was uh, great. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, that's all we've got time for. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Steph again for coming on the podcast. Um, On Thursday, we've got the next instalment of The Crows to listen to. And then uh, we've got a bonus episode coming up in March in addition to this one. Um, So stay tuned. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you on Thursday. Bye now.